you here to Long Crendon Baptist Church this morning. It's really great to have you here. Great to see some new faces, some visitors. You're very welcome with us, and we hope you have a good time here this morning. Just to take a moment of quiet, and I'm going to read um, some verses which I'll be speaking on a bit later on in the service, just to still our hearts. I'm sure we've come from a, a busy week, lots of things running through our minds. So just take a moment of quiet. Uh, I'll read some verses, and then we'll pray. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Loving Father, as we gather together in your name this morning to worship you, to hear from you, to sing praises to you and to pray to you, we thank you for the privilege we have to meet as your people And we pray that we wouldn't just come here to have a good time. We wouldn't just come here to learn new things, but we would be changed because we meet with you. Thank you that you're here now by your spirit. And I pray that you would be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Just going to put a um, a confession up on the screen. It's a great thing when we come before God, just to remember all the ways in which we don't love him with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength, and to say sorry to him. Um, So why don't you just take a moment and read that through quietly and then we'll say it together. Heavenly Father, you are the source of all life and we thank you for every good thing you have given us today to enjoy. We're sorry for the ways we have ignored you and for wasting the time and opportunities you have given us. Please forgive us and help us to live today with you at the centre Please help us today to worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen. Um, Our reading today is from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 11. And we're going to share it amongst us here. Um, It's John, chapter 11, and verses 1 to 46. And uh, Jeff is going to lead us off with the narration. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he plainly told them, Lazarus is dead. 
and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village but was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. <clears throat> said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a man there. <coughs> he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Great. Thank you for reading. A bit of a longer reading, but it helps us uh, get there into the story. Uh, can I encourage you, if you've got a Bible, please keep John chapter 11 open. Uh, we're not going to look at the whole of the chapter, but um, we'll be jumping in and looking at various bits of it. 
Um, It's a great story and I hope and pray it will be a real encouragement to us all this morning. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Lord, I just pray this morning that that truth would mean something special to us today. Perhaps for the first time we'd understand what Jesus meant. Or if we do understand that that knowledge would become a reality in our lives. So please, would you be our teacher this morning? And please change us. Amen. Great, I'm just going to put up on the screen uh, the talks that we've done uh, so far. Uh, we're looking at this series of what we call the I Am sayings. They're statements that Jesus made um, which tell us a bit about who he is. Uh, this is where we've been in the last four weeks. And uh, Neil unpacked the last one last week, I Am the Good Shepherd. And this week we're looking at this great claim that Jesus makes in chapter 11, which is the chapter after I Am the Good Shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I was reading the BBC News this morning, and apparently there's a really big uh, boxing match that's about to take place sometime in the summer in Las Vegas. Two uh, professional fighters who are vying for each other. I want you to imagine, you know um, when there are boxing bouts, people have their weigh-in a few days before they fight, and then they come and they sort of face off to each other, don't they? And one person's here, and they're sort of staring at each other. And then the other person's here staring at the opponent. And they're just staring at each other, trying to psych each other out, usually exchange a few pleasantries. In this story, it's a bit like a boxing face-off, okay? Death is here, and it stares Jesus straight in the face and says, now I'll put an end to you. I'm in control. That's what death says. And Jesus stands facing death and says, It's not even a contest. I don't even need to explain myself because there's only ever going to be one winner. So there's a face-off, okay? But Jesus is absolutely certain in this passage that there's complete and utter certainty for what's going to happen in this face-off, death and life. And I want us to be encouraged this morning that even though death is a difficult subject and one that often leaves us feeling anxious, actually we can have complete certainty and assurance in death. I don't know if you've ever stopped to reflect on the kind of attitudes people have to death. Um, some people kind of like to laugh at death, just brush it off, and we kind of caricature death by the Grim Reaper or something similar, a little cartoon or a picture. But we kind of laugh in the face of death, but it's one way of not really engaging with the reality of it. You laugh at it. Some prefer just to kind of ignore death, and there's these sort of nice sentiments. You get them in powerful movies like Gladiator or other uh, such films. Uh, everyone dies, but not everyone lives. And I suppose it's a kind of call to make sure that your life really counts, to do whatever you can in your life, to seek pleasure, to be successful. But in a strange way, that also just ignores this question of death. And some are just genuinely fearful of death, kind of don't go there. I don't really want to talk about it. I don't want to go there. I don't even want to be thought, thinking about it. But the reality is that death is the great leveler, isn't it? Death is a reality that you and I all have to stare in the face at some point in our life. And I'm sure we've all stared it in the face as we've witnessed the death of a loved one. And it's never easy. I don't know if you noticed as that reading went on. You could really look at this story at two different levels. Um, At the one level, there's the kind of human level. And wasn't there just a real deep sense of urgency, uh, pain, frustration, anxiety. You've got Mary and Martha and the people, the disciples, and they feel the deep heartache because someone they love dies. 
And we don't want to just brush over that and jump to the saying of Jesus, because death is a difficult reality for all of us, and it hurts. But then you also look at this story, and there's a second level, and it's the level or looking at this story through the eyes of Jesus. In amongst all the commotion of death and wailing and grieving, did you notice Jesus? Complete and utter control. Total peace. Knows exactly what is happening. It's a funny contrast, isn't it? And sometimes when we read the Gospels, you can read the Gospels through the eyes of different people and you see different things. And we're going to be thinking about that a bit in the evening series I'm going to be doing as we read the Gospels together. I want to just begin by looking at this story from the human level because, as I said, we don't want to just jump to the truth of who Jesus is and what he says he does without actually identifying with the pain that's in this story. Just have a look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now that word there, deeply moved, is a translation of a word that really gets across the sense of anger and outrage. Uh, It's used in Matthew's Gospel and Mark's Gospel where Jesus offers a stern rebuke. So it's a really powerful phrase, a really powerful word. It packs a punch. Jesus is deeply moved. He's saying, this isn't right. Death is not right. It's not good. And it moves Jesus. He's not divorced from the realities of life. Death moves him. And do you know why? Look at verse 3 and verse 5. Jesus and Lazarus were great friends. There was a close bond between them. And when they get separated in death, it grieves Jesus. Some people think that Jesus doesn't get our pain. He doesn't get what it's like to be a human being but this story should encourage you if you feel that sometimes Jesus cries out against the anger and the the difficulties of death look at verse 33 one of the most beautiful verses I think in the whole of the Bible again if you think that Jesus is not compassionate and doesn't get you just look at those two words Jesus wept He grieves deeply. He is grieved deeply by death. He's grieved deeply by pain. And we shouldn't just rush over those details in this story because actually we can take great comfort. Here is a story where we see the human side of Jesus. He gets you. He gets the pain that you feel in life. He particularly gets the pain of separation of death. And he knows what it feels like to be grieving a loved one. Jesus gets you. But... We're not going to stay there looking at this story through the eyes of Martha and Mary or indeed, as it were, from Lazarus' point of view because this isn't actually a story about Lazarus. This is a story about Jesus. And so we're going to look at this story mostly now through his eyes to give us great confidence in death. Uh, When I've been with my discipleship group each week, one of the things I've been trying to help them to understand is every time you come to a story in the Bible, one of the most helpful tools to unpack what a particular passage means is to look at the context. That means what's come before, what comes after. Because it gives you clues as to what this chapter is all about. Well, chapter 10 last week, Neil unpacked it. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. There's one kind of pillar. And the next chapter, you read this little detail. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. That's the place where he died. So this becomes like a frame And you think, okay, why are those things there? And then why is chapter 11 and this story of Lazarus right in the middle? And the answer is because in the pain and confusion, 
Jesus says he's going to lay down his life. What? That can't be right. And in the reality that he's going to go to his death in Jerusalem, in all of that confusion and mess, actually chapter 11 is a story of hope. Because as you look at this story of Lazarus, it's a picture of the much bigger story. This isn't actually a chapter all about Lazarus. It's a chapter all about Jesus. As we look at this chapter together, we will see there's great hope for us in death. Now, just have a look at that. You don't need to read the verses through, but just notice I've highlighted there five times in this chapter. You get the word believe. Sometimes repetition is a helpful clue when you read a passage as to what the passage is all about. And John chapter 11 is all about believing. Five times it comes up, believe. And so we're going to come and really think this morning about what it means to believe in Jesus. Because it doesn't mean simply to believe that he existed. It means something much more than that. Could you just turn to verse 32? When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That is like a, a great statement of if only, if only. And isn't that the sort of statement that you often hear at the funeral of a loved one? If only I'd had a better relationship with him. If only I'd had a chance to say goodbye. If only I'd been able to say sorry. If only. And it's a normal question for you and I to ask at the death of someone. If only. But what this story does is it actually teaches us that there's a far bigger if only. And it's this question. Upon a person's death, the question that really, really matters is, if only they knew Jesus. And we're going to come to see why. I just want to pause for a moment. I appreciate that is a difficult idea to think about for some of you. Because you'll know people who you loved and cared for, who died, and as far as you know, they didn't know Jesus. I'm not a universalist. I don't believe everyone goes to heaven because the Bible's really clear on the realities of heaven and hell. So I don't want to offer some false platitude saying, oh, don't worry, God will probably end up saving everyone because it's rubbish. But if you're worried about where a person is who's died who you love and it really touches your heartstrings, no one can tell you where they are. But can I just help you with this one thing to encourage you? There's a great verse in Genesis chapter 18 that says, the Lord or the judge of all the earth will do right. That doesn't mean that that person definitely in heaven, but what it does mean is whatever happens to you or I or anybody else upon death is what is good, is what is right. And if you're struggling with this idea that someone you know and love has died and you don't know where they stand before God, you can take encouragement that the judge of all the earth will do what is right. That does give some comfort because God is a good God. But why is the biggest question, the biggest question, the big if only, is if only they knew Jesus? Why is that? Just have a think about these I am statements that we've been unpacking. I said earlier, these aren't just statements of truth. They're actually statements about a person. 
look, just look at this table here. This is a table that tells you how many times the word I comes up in the different Gospels. It's a little bit technical, but just have a look. John's Gospel has a kind of different flavor or feel to it because 118 times in the Gospel you get this word I. What the writer of the Gospel is doing is he's really drawing you in to kind of walk alongside Jesus in a slightly different way to what the other Gospels do. That's why it's in this Gospel that you get these statements, I am I don't know if you notice as well in the reading, Jesus is given five different names in this chapter. Verse 8, Rabbi. Verse 21, Lord. Verse 27, Christ. Verse 27, Son of God. Verse 28, Teacher. What's happening here? Again, we're being drawn in to understand who Jesus is. The writer is drawing attention to him. And there's all these different names for him, so get us to focus on him. Because this is a story about Jesus. Not about Lazarus. So I asked the question earlier. What does it actually mean to believe in Jesus? What does it actually mean? Just three things as we kind of pull together all that we've been thinking about and we look at this passage. Three things that help us understand what believing in Jesus really means. The first one is the purpose of belief. What is the purpose of believing Have a look at verse 15. Jesus says to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. So that you may believe. And then have a look at verse 40. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? See, the purpose for any of us in believing in Jesus is actually the glory of God. That his name is made great because he is the one who rescues. Now perhaps if you don't get that and you don't understand the glory of God and you don't think that life is about living for his God, the glory of God, you'll think that what I'm saying is utterly crazy. Okay? Why in the world is believing all about God's glory? I thought believing was all about me. I just want to take you... Uh, on a little illustration, I want you to imagine that you are one of two babies in a mother's womb. Okay, slightly random, but stick with it. Okay. You see, it's crazy if you've known no different to think that believing in life is all about the glory of God. That's crazy. So it's a bit like a discussion between two babies in a mother's womb. Let me read this to you. In the mother's womb, with two babies, one asks the other, "Do you believe in life after delivery?" The other replied, why, of course. There has to be something after delivery. Maybe we're here to prepare ourselves for what will be later. (laughs) Nonsense, says the first. There's no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be? The second said, I don't know. There must be more light than here. Maybe we'll walk with legs and eat with our mouths. Maybe we'll have other senses that we can't understand now. The first replied, that's absurd. Walking's impossible. Eating with our mouths? Ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition, everything we need, but the umbilical cord is so short. Life after delivery is just to be logically excluded. The second insisted, well, I know there's something and maybe it's different than it is here. Maybe we don't need this physical cord anymore. The first replied, nonsense. And moreover, if there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? Delivery is the end of life, and in the after delivery, there's nothing but darkness and silence and oblivion. It takes us nowhere. 
Well, I don't know, said the second. But certainly we will meet mother and she will take care of us. The first replied, mother, you actually believe in mother? (laughs) That's laughable. If mother exists, then where is she now? The second said, she's all around us. We are surrounded by her. We are of her. It is in her that we live. Without her, this world would not and could not exist. Said the first, well, I don't see her. So it's only logical that she doesn't exist. See, the purpose of belief is the glory of God. And if you've never lived for the glory of God, of course that makes no sense to you. It's like being two babies in a womb and you've known no different. But when you come to understand that life is all about giving glory to God, and when you realize what that means in your life, it absolutely changes everything. Purpose of belief is the glory of God. But perhaps you're saying, well, what confidence can I have in believing? Have a look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? You know, these I am statements, they're amazing statements, aren't they? But perhaps you read this story and you read this statement and you're still saying, well, it's all very well. The purpose of belief is the glory of God. But I can't have confidence in my belief. Because actually in this story, this story shows that Jesus just doesn't get me. And maybe you're even angered by this story. Have a look at verse 3 and verse 6. The sisters send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. What do you expect Jesus to do now? Look at verse 6. It's almost cruel. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. You kind of read that and think, what? Jesus, you've just heard that he's dying. You can help him. But you're not bothered, are you? You just stayed where you were. And then have a look forward to verse 39. It almost gets cruel. Jesus says, take away the stone. Now, perhaps that doesn't sort of connect with us. That would be the equivalent today of being here in this room and there's a funeral. The coffin comes in and Jesus says, take off the lid. It's scandalous. It's cruel. Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you care? He's dead. Why are you messing around with us? You don't get me. That's why I can't have any confidence in you. Perhaps that's what you or someone else says. But you and I can have confidence because what does Jesus do a few verses later in verse 43? When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And it was that cry that gave life to that which was dead. All the way through the story, we're thinking, what is going on? Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you not rushing there? Why do you not seem to care? Take off the lid of the coffin. What are you doing? But of course, Jesus said at the beginning, it's good that I wasn't there. Because this story will not end in death. This story is that you may believe. I'm trying to point you to the glory of God, Jesus says. Well, just as in this story, remember I said there was this sandwich, chapter 10, I'll lay down my life, chapter 12, I'm going to Jerusalem, chapter 11, the story of Lazarus is a little story, which is actually a picture of the bigger story. 
Well, in this little story, we're asking the question all the way through. Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you care? Have you got no compassion? But we see at the end that Jesus was in complete control. You now blow that out to the big picture. What happens? Jesus goes to the cross and everyone's saying, what are you doing? Surely you haven't got to die. But when Jesus is on the cross, he again cries out. And what does he cry on the cross? It is finished. And in the same way with the Lazarus story, that cry is a cry that gives life to that which is dead. All the ways that you and I turn our back on God, we reject him and we face his righteous anger on us, we're separated from him. And when Jesus made that cry, that declaration on the cross, what he's doing is he's saying, the weight of God's judgment will come on me. It's finished. The people I love no longer need to be punished by God. And he put an end to our sin forever. The punishment for our sin. So you're asking the question, what confidence can I have? In believing in Jesus. The answer is Jesus is the source of life. Just turn back in John's gospel to chapter 5. I think this is one of the most significant verses in the whole Bible. John chapter 5 verses 24 and 25. This friends is why you can have confidence in Jesus. You can have confidence in belief. And why you can have confidence in death. John chapter 5 verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but have crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And then verse 26, this is the key. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. That is why you can have complete confidence in your belief and complete confidence in death because Jesus has life within himself. We read it in the first chapter of John's Gospel where Jesus is is announced as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Jesus is the source of all life. He has life within himself and that is why you and I can have total confidence in him because he's the one who gives life. And that then leads us to our close. Well, the challenge then from this passage is will you believe? Do you see at the end of chapter 11, verse 26, Jesus makes the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. But then he says, and he puts the question to you and to me, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I'm uh, off on holiday tomorrow. Steph and I are going to Paris and I've got a passport. Now a passport gets you into a country. I often think that we think of the resurrection a bit like the passport. It's something that guarantees the future. The passport will get me into France. If I trust in the resurrection that Jesus died and rose again, I will one day get into heaven. Now that is true. The resurrection does guarantee that. But actually the resurrection is so much more than just a passport for the future. What the resurrection does as the resurrection power as at work in your and my life is that it gives us the ability to begin to live life for the glory of God. It's resurrection power at work in our life that begins to change us on the inside. It's resurrection power that helps us to love him more. 
It's resurrection power that gives us confidence to believe. The resurrection isn't just a passport to heaven. The resurrection is the power today to really experience life. That's why Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Life everlasting, sure, but life now, true life. And that is what Jesus is getting at in this passage. I don't know if you noticed as the team were reading earlier, our little passage ended, verse 45 and 46, belief and unbelief. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Friends, the purpose of belief is the glory of God. Our confidence in belief is that Jesus is the source of life. And so the big challenge that he puts to us is, will you believe? Because the biggest, if only, that we could ever cry is this, if only I knew Jesus. Can I just say, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus... Can I kind of put it to you as a bit of a challenge? And I do this graciously, but I think you are completely and utterly mad to hear the words of Jesus and then just to ignore them. I really do. Because here is a man who loves you and is so committed to you, he wants to give you life. Life everlasting and life today. Please don't just hear these words and then walk away. And if you are a believer, if you have put your trust in Jesus, perhaps this weekend, just take a few moments as we prepare for Easter in the coming weeks, to rejoice in all that the resurrection means for you. And can I encourage you, don't keep this news to yourself because it's life-changing news. And as it's changed your life, God longs for it to change the lives of others. Friends, the gospel is glorious and you and I have every reason to believe it.